You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program as your ticket coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. And today, we are outside in the middle of Manhattan. Isn't that great? My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is multiple award-winning actor who hails from Toronto, Canada, and is currently covering both female leads out here in NYC for the Roundabout Theatre Company's production of Marvin's Room. The delightful and uber-talented Carly Street. You guys, you're going to love her. She's amazing. And I bring up that she's from Toronto, Canada, as she has performed in several Canadian productions, including a critically heralded performance in Venus and Fur. I think I counted eight major, uh, not eight, three major awards. Sorry, Carly. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, we'll work up to eight. Do it again. <laughs> do it for the third time, and you'll be eight. As well as acting in several productions for the Stratford Festival, among others. And since we here at Your Program Is Your Ticket love promoting theater festivals, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about the work of the wonderful Stratford Festival. The Stratford Festival is an internationally recognized annual repertory theater festival that runs from April to October in the city of Stratford, Ontario, Canada. It was founded by a local journalist turned producer named Tom Patterson. It's one of the most prominent art festivals in Canada. It's recognized worldwide for its productions of Shakespearean plays. It opened in 1953 with the production of Richard III with Alec Guinness. Wow. And has been going strong ever since. Strong enough, in fact, to establish itself as being a financial game changer for Stratford in that a good portion of the city's economy comes from the arts. The list of actors and directors is just too long to read off here. However, we are very lucky to have one of their best here in Carly. Now, the festival is going on right now with such Shakespearean fare as Twelfth Night, and Romeo and Juliet combined with classic musicals like HMS Pinafore and Guys and Dolls. Now, if you're listening up in Canada or can get yourself up there, do yourself a favor and go see a show or many shows at the Stratford Festival. In fact, if you see a theater festival in your area, please go and support them by seeing as much as what they have to offer as possible. Tickets are usually not that expensive, and the selection process is typically very, very uh, stringent, so that ensures good quality. Having had my play in, in uh, numerous festivals, I know what they put you through, so usually you're seeing good stuff. Um, and the works are normally chosen for their excellence, and you can also things like see things like readings, and I don't know, just, just go and support. 
uh, you can visit www.stratfordfestival.ca, that's C-A, for tickets and information on the Stratford Festival. So go ahead and go. Now to bring on our guest, please welcome the fabulously talented Carly Street. Hi, Carly, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Hi, Sean. Lovely to see you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I just think that you're a charming lady. And when we met, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I had such a great time talking to you. You're so uh, insightful, and 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 you're t- uh, and now that I've done all this research on you, I wouldn't be surprised if you actually had eight awards somewhere because you have worked everywhere and done such a wide <laughs> range of roles. And and uh, as I was looking you up, I was like. Oh my God, this lady is a chameleon. You could put her in anything. That's crazy. And so, anyways, we're going to talk a lot about that. But at first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion? Uh, well, I, I've been in New York for seven years now, but I've been working in the theater since I grew I went to the illustrious National Theater School of Canada right out of high school. I was there at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. It was in Montreal. And I studied for three years. And then I almost immediately entered, I got my equity card Oh gosh, within a year after graduating theater school. Wow. So I've been doing this since I've since I've been I've been an adult. Um, and uh, so like three years now, right? Right. I mean, I'm a tender age of 26, <laughs> so you do the math, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I was working in Canada. I've, I've done seasons at the Stratford Festival and the Canadian Stage Company and Mervish Productions, both commercial and non-commercial. And I made the move or expanded my business into the United States seven years ago because I am. I'm an actor. I'm not a writer. I'm not a creator. I am an actor for hire. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's something to know about me. My job is to inhabit characters. And so I'm drawn to playwright-driven theater, language-driven theater. That's what I do. And my job is to see what the playwright has put on the page in terms of character and make that as full as possible. And we have some amazing playwrights in Canada, but the playwriting tradition in the United States is extraordinary and I hope to create some opportunities to work with playwrights here in the United States sure. uh, which is which is what's happened so that's what I, that's what I do I'm, I'm an actor for, like actor for hire that's terrific now you have performed uh, such roles as Viola in Twelfth Night at the Pittsburgh Public Theater that's right and um, you performed uh, let me see here as Margot in the nest and in Denver, Denver yeah. Center Theater Company. That was a Teresa Rebeck world premiere. Oh, I love her. I love her uh, too. She's so amazing. Yeah. Um, and you've uh, out here in New York at, at the American Airlines Theater. You understudied Anna and Kate in Old Times. That's right. That's amazing. Um, you played Amy and Company. I did. So there's a musical credit, and isn't she? Um, she sings. Uh, Getting married today. Listen, right? everybody, look, I don't know what you're waiting for. A wedding, what's a wedding? It's a prehistoric ritual where everybody has promised fidelity forever, even though I can't, I can't remember. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Any further, and I'd have to pay residuals. <laughs> yeah, gosh, that song took me forever to learn. I can imagine. I would, I would imagine that that is the monster part in there. I mean, I know that Bobby is big and yeah. he's all over, but that song is just, um, it's, it's, and the scene too. I don't know. There's the song, and then there's there's the scene. There's that whole scene between um, Paul and Bobby, and and sh- they they run the gamut. Right. They run the gamut. It's an it's an amazing. The play is very dated. I mean, bless you, Stephen Sondheim. You don't have to write things that are going to be exactly relevant thirty four years in the future. I get it. The the play gender wise has a bit of 
question marks for me. Sure. But it's a remarkable study in human behavior and the music and the lyrics. I mean, Sondheim, you could like rattle off the number of works of staggering genius, as far oh. as I'm concerned. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do five hours on Sondheim. Yeah, we could do five hours on Company. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because company only lasts three hours if you're watching it from top to bottom. That's right. But that's that's Sondheim for you. Yeah. I mean, he he goes the really really points. deep. Yeah. yeah. And um, I remember I saw the show out here, the revival. Uh, I'm going to say it was the John Doyle revival where they played the instruments. Yep. And Raul Esparza was in it. Yeah. I love Raul Esparza because he looks just like my husband. I know, I know. Delicious. I know, right? No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, you um, understudied one of my favorite plays, which is Clybourne Park, and you understudied four roles. That's right. Right? Now, is that... that, Now, I know each actor plays two roles normally, right? So does that mean that there were eight characters? No, this was only... I only studied two tracks, but each actress played two characters. Right, okay. So with the first act, it's, oh, Bessie and so-and-so, and in the second act, it's so-and-so and so-and-so. So four four roles in total, two two tracks. Right, uh, Bev, Kathy, Betsy, and Lindsay. Thank you. I can't oh, my God. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> I can't remember. That was... That's a lot. Now, I read an interview uh, with you where you talked about um, uh, Venus and Fur. Yes. Now, Venus and Fur is huge highlight in your career it was a game changer for me in terms of the the success of the production in general it was it won the critics choice award in toronto when you know critics choice awards in toronto or or new york new york generally go to musicals oh wow and it beat out les mis that year and all these thing they mis that came to new york after there it was it spoke to people, it spoke to audiences, and we ended up doing three remounts. Three? Yeah, so we had four runs of it. We did it in Toronto, then we did it again in Toronto, then we took it to Montreal, then it opened up again in Toronto. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now see, I think with all my research, I only got up to two, and um, it looks here, it looks like Canadian stage decided to bring it back for the holidays, dubbing it as the other nutcracker. <laughs> That's right. You got it. It's the other nutcracker. The other she nut- cracks his nuts. Oh, my God. Does she ever. Um, now, they. Uh, I'm reference, referencing this particular interview that they, uh, they did with you, where you're on stage for 90 minutes and playing two characters, swapping costumes and more, and you do... Um, you respond with a bit of a nice correction, saying, I'm actually playing four characters. And can you explain that and how you tackle that? There is the character at the center. A lot of people may have opinions about what they think is happening in Venus and Fur, having done over 200 shows. And in a successful production, I will lay claim to mine being one of a legitimate point of view. I would agree. I believe... 
the goddess Aphrodite walks into that rehearsal hall and she says, I'm going to give you 90 minutes for your come to Jesus. Uh. You're going to get 90 minutes to figure your shit out and straighten your shit out because what you're doing is your straight white male privilege. I'm, I'm done with it. We're finished. The goddesses, we're done with your shit. We're done with your sexist playwriting and your, your self-involvement. But I'm going to give you 90 minutes to figure it out. And I'm going to use this character called Wanda. And she's going to get right in your face and she's going to be everything you can't even stand to make it tough for you. And then over the course of the, the 90 minutes, the goddess and goddess and gods and goddesses are extremely vulnerable to all sorts of things. She starts to sort of fall in love with him in spite of his blinders. So the goddess walks in, Aphrodite walks in and goes, I'm going to give you 90 minutes. I'm going to play this character for you, Vonda, as the foil to, to, to try and give you the lens to see your world. Then I'm going to start playing the character of uh, um, Kaczynski, uh-huh. uh, the, the, the character that... Vonda Dunyaev, so Vonda reads Vonda, the upper crust woman who is from Eastern Europe, she's the Venomans very um, classy and she she has having this affair, this relationship within the play, within the play. Then she plays the male version. So there's four characters. There's the goddess, there's Wanda, there's Vonda Dunyaev, and then there is the male character. Wow. I love that there's a siren going on in the background. <laughs> I know. Because if that's not like a siren's call metaphor, yeah. I don't know. That's... And in the end of the play, I'm just going to say, at the end of the play, they get to the end of the nine minutes, and he's still resisting, and he's still resisting, and the thunder's going, and the lightning's going, and she's going, come on, pal. In about 20 seconds, my ladies, my furies are going to come in, and they're going to flay you. Say my fucking name. You, you can say it, it's okay. Say my fucking name, fella. Go. And he finally goes, Hail Aphrodite! And she goes, Good. Wow. Now, that is a lot of wrestling mentally and yeah. physically to do over 90 minutes every single night. Did yeah. you ever get to a point where you thought, after so many performances, I've got this nailed? Uh, in moments when you get really cocky, you kind of have like a less than perfect show, and then uh, you'd go, okay, so check yourself. Yeah. Reinvest. But frankly, because the audience's reactions were so extraordinary, they were so right there breathing with you that it, you can't really check out or get arrogant or cocky because you're you're in service of the play, and you're in service of the audience has, who has come to receive it. Right. So you have a job to do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and also, the actress playing those parts has to drive that play. Right. And it's like dry, It's like driving a jumbo jet. Like, your your fist is on that stick shift, and you're, you don't want that train, that, that 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 plane to get away from you. Oh, absolutely. So. Wow. Um, but what fun. Yeah. Was it fun every night? Uh, yeah, every single night. Oh, every wow. single night, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That That is so awesome. Um, so you won the 2014... Uh, Dora Award, mm-hmm. and uh, now, now, tell me because I was trying to pick up on this. Is that is that in reference to Dora Dora Meyer Moore? Dora Maver Moore. Maver Moore. Okay. Yes. My apologies. My apologies, Dora. Oh. And uh, she, she's passed. Oh. 
Sorry. Oh my gosh. Triple apologies for sure. Okay, now, now Dora, she was instrumental in the um, Stratford Festival as well, right? That's right. And in the Canadian theatre scene. Overall? Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say Canadian. I should say Toronto and not be ethnic, like, ethnocentric. The, the Toronto slash Ontario theatre scene. Wow. Yeah. So our, our Dora is kind of like our Tony. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so that's an outstanding performance by a female. Uh, the Toronto Theatre Critics Award for Best Actress in a Play. And did you say, did it also win for Best Production? Yes, well, it did. Oh, my gosh. See? See, the awards are like, Rack, you're, you're too humble. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Broadway World Award winner for Best Leading Actress in a Play. Wow. That is absolutely astonishing and I'm not the least bit surprised. Thank um, you. Now, we had this great conversation about Shakespeare yeah. when we first met because you said you do a lot of Shakespeare and I said I have problems or, well, I have trouble with Shakespeare because it takes me a while to get the language coming from the actor and then into my head before I, have, before I move on to the next line. I feel like there's a schism and you said you were so wonderful in your response because you said you have to think of the environment and you actually referenced the weather that Shakespeare wrote in. He wrote in a very cold, crisp environment. So everything is very direct and fast. And then I think you countered that with like, like Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Like his environment was very warm, hot, lugubrious, slow, yeah. languid. Um, I thought that was brilliant. Well, and, and all, so many of the playwrights, major playwrights over time that we look at, we have to look at the environment in which they were writing and how, how much time people did or could take to either relax or sit down. I mean, people didn't have money in the South, but there was, there was sitting down, there was taking it easy, was having a julep, like the heat was so oppressive. Right. That's part of the culture. So things are slower. People speak slower. Whereas in particularly English theatre, like Shaw or Wilde or, or Shakespeare. This is in England, and, and most of England is... I mean, it's, it's not, the, you know, North America, but it's... This is... This is um, people are using, using language swiftly and quickly to create ideas, to get, to get messages across. Sure. And the weather is not conducive to sitting back and do it over a cup of tea. Right. <laughs> Getting things done. It informs the speed at which the characters think and communicate. Exactly. And they're not, and the, and the idea is there's no subtext in Shakespeare. <laughs> you say what you mean, unless you're like Iago who turns the audience and says, I'm the liar, I'm the bad guy, I'm going to lie, but I'm just letting you know I'm going to lie. But people don't lie, they don't say... There's no subtext. It's all on the line, and it's happening in the moment. So when I see, hear young people taking all these pauses to before they say the next line or they say it at, like, half speed, I think, you're not finding the spirit. You're actually losing the heartbeat of that character by taking all those pauses because that thought has come and gone. Wow. You've missed it, and so the audience has missed it. Right. Live on the line. Live right on the line. Wow, so... So do you find that in, in certain levels of, of Shakespeare and certain performances, they're missing the boat because they're not considering the basics? What is said? What do people say? What do people say and they do? Do that. Wow. Your ideas or concepts 
are not going to be as interesting as the sh- things that Shakespeare has people say and do to each other. Wow. So that's there's like a, a, a humility yeah. involved there and really respecting that. And, and I love that you have taken the time in your career to really, and in your studying, to really pay attention to the playwright. Um, I, I, I was absolutely blown away. And then we took the conversation a little further when we mm-hmm. talked about playwrights now, that they're a little different in that it's more about um, reflecting back uh, society with um, uh, current events, politics, like saying something about about that as opposed to, well, well, telling the stories of the people as well, but the focus has shifted. I think it's less, I mean, compared to, let's say, Stratford, I mean, uh, Shakespeare or like Sheridan or Middleton. <laughs> We don't have these epic sweeping stories like Pericles that go all across the English-speaking world. What's that? Right. That's a siren and a half. <laughs> I think the locales are very specific and right. the ideas are very specific. They're less immediately mythic, even right. even though Clybourne Park is fucking mythic. Totally. It's epic size. Yeah, it is. And, and anything that Lynn, Lynn Nottage writes, whether it's Ruined or Sweat or uh, Intimate Apparel, these are playwrights who are so smart. They're taking specific times and places where you can stretch them and pull them back and see the larger historical perspective. But, I mean, I guess good playwriting is good playwriting is good playwriting from the beginning to the end of time. But you have to be a bit more... S- oh, no. Hold on, I'm going to think for a second. I think playwrights are really using current events to, to try and change the world in the immediate sense. Or trying to affect the world and comment on the world. In, well, and I, I'm going to contradict myself right now, because all of those plays that Shakespeare wrote, he was either pointing out or ducking away from stuff that was going on in the court. So, same thing. Same shit, different bile, essentially. Wow. That's, that's... Well, I, I think also, oftentimes it has to do with... Uh, with uh, content is what really is going to drive form. Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do with with what they what they're writing about. Right. And it, it sometimes I, I love when I see a play that that does a complete 180 of what I'm usually seeing from that particular playwright. Yeah. And that what that means is that that playwright is paying attention to how is this, this play best serviced. Yes. And and uh, it, it, I, I I just I loved our conversation. It was yeah. just so wonderful. It was. It was incredible. I'm sorry if I'm not able to recreate it right now. That's okay. Off the cuff. That's okay. That's that's what I'm here. Yeah, and you know, think about Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth and Fifth. That's Tudor propaganda. That's Tudor, Tudor House propaganda. Totally. So it's all you know. It's all of the time. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. What's the next question? (laughs) Should I have him called? (laughs) Okay. are there any particular messages and themes that speak strongly to you in the projects you select? I don't do plays anymore where uh, <clears throat> it's uh, a male gaze that is unexamined. We Almost all of the plays that we produce in the history of the Western world are all set through the male gaze mm. and to, to uh, assume that that gaze is the most legitimate and the widest and I don't do plays that do that anymore unless we're willing to address it because that time 
is done. Wow. I'm done with playing a man's idea of what female behavior is. Mm-hmm. That's over for me. Now, was there a certain turning point in your life? Or a, uh... It's been in the last year. Yeah. You know, uh, things happened in the last year. I, things have happened in the last week to make us all crazy, but the writing was on the wall before November 15th, and 51% of the population heard it and shook. And so we could have told you that he would have said that garbage in Charlottesville. We could have told you that. We have a sexist... Sexism is so rampant in our world, and so much of it we don't even notice, or we let it go. And this country elected a man who said, you know what I do with good-looking women? I grab them by the pussy. And that was the game, and then he got elected. And I kind of, in my soul, went, Sean, the times for me to accommodate any kind of accepting of that behavior or or normalizing it, I'm, I'm done. I hit a wall. And I think a lot of women have hit a wall. Oh, sure. I, I absolutely agree. Like, in case we had all these evidences, it kept going and going and going. And then he won the election. And I think any part of, like, scrap of me being accommodating or nice or making sure that any man I was talking to about this was comfortable, making sure he was comfortable, I don't care if he's I don't care if they're comfortable anymore. Good. I'm do- like I'm done. The law. Lo- I just the line got drawn in the sand for me, and now I do not do plays where we, where we display a kind of, I'm putting in air quotes, female behavior, which is in very very much just a male idea of how women should or do behave. Mm-hmm. I don't that. I, I go a hundred miles away from that now, and that's my number one. In, unless it's being addressed as the. Topic. Unless it's part of the part of the play. Yeah. Wow. That's. That's a great answer. It really is. And it's one that I haven't heard. Um, So I love that. That's amazing. Um, What do you think is an important direction that theater itself is taking right now? I think the American theater uh, and some of the and Canadian theaters are doing a really good job in not making their plays all white anymore. Even if it's Shaw or Chekhov or Shakespeare, I think we're looking at the world and trying to put faces. People are characters no matter what race or creed, but different color faces on the stage because that's the world we live in. <laughs> right. And I think that theaters are doing a really good job of that. The company that I just worked for, Stratford. They're, they're, the company is more diverse than, the, than Canada is, which is fabulous. That's... I, I, I can see... I can see theater doing that, and yeah. I am really, really excited that they are. And I get a little frustrated when somebody makes a big deal out of it. It should yeah. just be... You know, it's part, part of the course. Yeah, and... So, and I have my answer to this as well, but um, are there any particular shows on your radar that you feel exemplify that new vision or direction of theater? Well, a, a, a show that I saw a couple of months ago, A Doll's House Part Two. That's good. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that show, that play, I just loved oh, the storm that she walks into that that space in that room with and she's mad as hell and she's not going to take it anymore she's there and e- so this is a fully formed female and yet 
in this current run of it, you have non-traditional. I'm putting that again. You don't have the, the family doesn't all look white. Right. So we're on so many levels that play was doing the right thing. Oh yeah. That's what I think. The 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 language, the clarity of thought, the clarity of ideas, um, the humor. Because the, I think the best way to change the world is through humor and comedy. Love, love first. <laughs> And then humor and comedy. I thought that was an exquisite example of both gender parity, language, being colorblind. I don't know. I'm, apparently, you're not supposed to say colorblind anymore. So insert whatever the... I, I'm not trying to be... Good actors on the deck telling really good stories. Boom. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. I personally, I think that if it's, if it's well done, uh, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Yep. Um, I, I would totally agree with you. I think that covers off on all the bases uh, of everything that you've just uh, mentioned. And I think that Lucas Nath is a great playwright. I don't know if you ever saw his play, The Christians. Uh, my friend did it in Texas, in Texas, but in I haven't Texas. seen it. Yeah. Oh my god. I think he did the premiere of it, actually. Yeah. It's it's so good. I saw it out here. And uh, it's he, he is an amazing, amazing modern playwright. I would totally fangirl if I met him. I would. But I fangirl very, very easily. Fabulous. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he gets real props from me, i got to tell oh, you. Totally. Um, what do you think is the best part of being involved in smaller productions? That's what we like to talk about here or focus on at times. I looked at that question when you was given to me. Do you mean smaller productions in smaller cast sizes or smaller budgets? Um... Smaller budgets, like smaller theater, off-Broadway off theaters, uh, any regional theater. Is there an advantage that you found that happens to go along it's, with that? It's tricky because most, most of the regional theater I've, I've done, I wouldn't, ha- I, w- I wouldn't say was small, like mm. like off-off-Broadway. I'm right. still getting, I'm still making a living wage, and uh, I haven't done a lot of s- small theater. Most, uh, it's tricky because the just kind of think of you. Are you talking like not millions of dollars in budget? Right, not millions of dollars. Like, well, I don't think. But frankly, I th- if we're going into like the regionals or like the Playwrights Horizons or like the Tarragon theaters in Canada, mm-hmm. those aren't really small productions because in many cases, some of those theaters, like the regional theaters, are towing the line. So, particularly regional theaters don't usually take enormous artistic risks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you think that that's? Distinct to Canada? No, I think that's as much in America. I think it's like equal Canada to the U.S. Because I've worked in regionals across both countries. Okay. And they, they program a season. And for the most part, unless you're in Toronto, Montreal, New York, Chicago, Boston, Vancouver, where you can take more risks because you have a, a broader audience base, most audiences in... Denver or Pittsburgh or Cincinnati or Calgary want stuff that is palatable. Mm-hmm. They're kind of risk. Those theaters are more risk averse. I get it. I'm not dumping on them or anything like that. But oh no. So it depends on how much money and where you are. I think. I don't think there's any be- any benefit to having less money, and I certainly don't think there's any benefit to having more money because some of the garbage we see on Broadway is like unforgivable. No. <laughs> That's actually uh, a very fresh answer in, in that you're taking it and you're saying the difference is that you are, 
you sort of have you have a different agenda as far as your audience goes. Yeah. A different set of criteria. They they want something a little more traditional, a little a little forever plaid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe I don't know, Oklahoma or South Pacific yeah. or you know something along those lines. Um, what should every theatrical artist, actor, writer, director be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? Keep asking questions and keep listening to the answers. We'll stay, I think, part of the longevity or artistic longevity is, is continuing to hear what's happening in the world mm-hmm. and asking questions and listening because we're inspired. Our, our life spirit is what's for sale. My spirit, my, my will to power, my concept of God, my warrior instinct, all of that is fueled daily by being present in the world that I live in and by sitting down and having conversations with you, Sean, or having conversations with the person at the local bodega and allowing myself to feel all the feels I have and think all the thoughts that I have and bring them to the work. So even if I'm doing a classic play, like if I'm doing oh, A Doll's House, the original version, my experience of being in the world or witnessing other people in the world will inform the level and committedness of how much life I put into the role of Nora. It's by being really fucking present in the world. Wow. I think. No, that's a... That's a sensational answer. It really is about about being open, yeah, and 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 accepting. And and to me, as a writer, um, I I feel like I don't want to become one of those people who's just jaded and cut off, and um, is is always saying no or I don't like that. I mean, I think trying and connecting is something that every artist needs to in my opinion, constantly do. I know we're not interviewing me, but that's, that's yeah. how I feel about it. I think it. cynicism, deep cynicism, is, is the death of art. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, uh, I mean, I write musicals with uh, my, my co-writer, Leo Schwartz, and he is always, always saying, no cynicism, no cynicism. Which is funny because he's super cynical in real life, but he strips out it all just the doesn't cynicism. Go, cynicism doesn't go, doesn't take you very far. It doesn't, no. It I think cynicism, cynicism in an artist, what, what positively, a positive effect that is you go, how do we move forward? If, if I'm dismayed or discouraged by that and I feel cynical about this, what kind of investment or energy do I need to put in the world or into these ideas that I'm writing about so that we can move beyond that? But cynicism, meh, I mean, meh. It doesn't go very far. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't bring you to a, st- a state of wonder to be or not to be these ideas Shakespeare had no cynicism he was like do I do I go forth or do I die what do I do that's not a cynical thing at all that's like fucking existential exactly yeah wow and you know what it's not a very nice trait in a person in general no it's very nice to be open and 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 genuine Uh, but that is that is an excellent analogy and an excellent example. You can't just keep saying no and keep writing and keep producing and keep acting. You have to be open. Yeah. Terrific. Um, my husband wanted me to ask you, this is his one of his questions. Yes. He wanted me to ask you, what is a typical day like in uh, the life of someone who is understudying or standby, standing by for 
uh, for a show, for a role in the show. You know what? He doesn't ask the deep questions it's, I do. It's not, yeah. <laughs> I wake up, I walk the dog, mm-hmm. and I get here at the slightly before the half hour, and I... On some days, I'll review the script. I'll review the lines or review the blocking to make sure that if I have to go on in the last minute, I, the, the, the piece hasn't fallen away from me. Right. Sometimes I'll sit quietly and I'll listen to play over the tannoy. Huh. Sometimes I'll read a book or sometimes I'll have a coffee date. Uh, but it is... It is um, it's unexceptional. Unless, like in Clybourne Park, I actually did shows. Right. Uh, but it is kind of like showing up to the office. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is. You've got this this piece of art in the back of your head, and you have to keep it there. You have to be ready to... You have to hold it in your heart, and you have to hold it in your head. But sanity... For one, sanity, you can't show up to work going, I wonder if I'll go on today. That's not really... I don't think that's a really healthy... That up and down, jacking yourself up for excitement and then it coming down because you're not going on. I have, from the start of ever understanding, the first time I did that was for Roundabout in Brief Encounter. It's not manageable. It's not a manageable state, psychological state to be in. So I think one is in a best state when they're generally calm. You do a little bit of work. You just piece away at it. You just work away at it. And then you put it aside, and you come back to it, and then you put it aside. And you show up to work, and I think part of being an understudy is being a part of a, a positive culture backstage. Like, being a, a positive factor in the backstage culture. Oh, good. Knowing, like, the actors that I cover and, and everyone else, that I am supportive of what they're doing on the deck. Because I always wish the same when I am being covered by someone. That sure person who's covering is in support is there to support and in support of the work that's being done wow that's you know i i think that's so zen and because i think my follow-up question was i to be specific about marvin's room yeah you cover the two sisters bessie and lee and there's so many surprises that one launches onto the other because they haven't seen each other for decades and they both make assumptions about how the other is feeling and very often they're wrong yeah so it's very often like where did you you know to to play both of those or have both of those going on in your head what what keeps the surprise fresh is there a technique that you use you know, sometimes during the day, something will happen. When I'm not at the theater, something will happen, and I'll, and I'll think, oh, that's, I think that's what Lee's on about in this moment. Or, this is probably, like, what happens to Bessie here. That's probably what she thinks about that. I let them per- I let it percolate on a kind of subconscious level. Oh. Um, but the surprise... Well... well can you ask that question again? Sure. Um, 
both of the characters, they're, they're two sisters who haven't seen each other in decades. Yeah. And my, from what I recall from seeing it a couple weeks ago, is that they each, they each assume that the other is feeling certain things based upon not communicating for decades. Yeah. That when they finally get together, one sister will say, hey, um, we were always this way. And the other sister will say, I never thought that at all. I mean, that's not yeah. obviously... And I'm not yeah, going no, to no, give sure. away spoilers, but uh, but it seems like they're always sort of surprising each other with their assumptions of each other. I think that's true in any play. I think it's I think the playwright has done a good job of that, but that's generally true in every play oh, wow. where you come. I think you're you set yourself up as an actor with the with the most ammo. If you come with as many bits of baggage and assumptions and expectations of the other actor on the deck or other character on the deck. So when they go along with what you want, it's like, yeah, I, I deserve or when they don't, there's all the fodder in the world to react to. That's that's part of an actor's toolkit is is setting yourself up to fail. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Right. That's good drama is when you set yourself up so that you can just, in front of an audience, fall, fail. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, that's conflict. Yeah, that's, that's conflict. That's yeah, what so keeps it going. You you stuff your you stuff your toolkit. Your that particular character's toolkit with as much stuff, so you can as be as easily knocked off your plane. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Well, speaking of which, I have a feeling. Uh, your act one is going to end pretty soon here. Okay. We're actually here at the American Airlines Theater. So, uh, why don't we go ahead and. You tell me if there's anything new that you're working on that you'd like to talk about. Well, I'm going to do... I'm going home to uh, Toronto, which is my other major theatre city, to do the Canadian premiere of Heisenberg, oh. Simon Stevens' play, that That's played right. here last year. That's right. With Dennis Arndt and Mary Louise Parker. And I'm really excited about that. Matthew Jocelyn, who's the artistic director of Canadian Stage, will be directing. And he's such a fine artist and a brilliant man. And I'm looking forward to him creating... That production and the framework for that the, 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 the story of of those Alex and Georgie, what happened to them. Really, really excited about that. That's a great play. I saw it out here. You are going to be perfect. Thank you. I am t- t- scared. I <laughs> scared as a Dickens. Well, good. <laughs> yeah, which is probably a good sign. And then in the new year, so this is a bunch of months off. I'm doing a play called Mikvah with the Harold Green Jewish Theater in Toronto. And it was premiered in Tel Aviv a couple of years ago. And a mikvah is a bath where women go, um, Orthodox or Hasidic women in, in Israel go the, the week after, after they've had their period. It's like a cleansing. It's, they go to these baths, these women's baths. And, it's, and it's a, it is a play with eight women. It takes place right now in Tel Aviv. And it is about how the church, the Jewish culture, <laughs> read Catholic, read anything, because this is universal, lets uh, abuses and stuff get shuffled under, how things are hidden and how other people help hide abuses that happen in the name of religion and culture. Wow. Because some women who go to this mikvah see bad stuff going down and they want to protest it and other are, others want to shuffle it under the rug. We did a reading of this play a year ago in Toronto. We had an audience about 100 there. And there was, in the question and answer period, after we read this play, mikvah, there was almost a riot between some of the women in the audience, between each other, and who are members of the Jewish religion, 
where there was a full-on fight that happened because people have such intense relationships with their religion and it being slandered or not represented properly and it, it's I think it's going to be a really really exciting piece of theater to see very cool yeah uh, I'll have to ask my uh, friend Zion Ashkenazi who's from Tel Aviv about that I met him please at, uh, oh yeah I'm sure he'll, he'll have stuff to say about it um, why don't you go ahead and give me your social media information if you'd be so kind not on Instagram. I should be, but I'm not. And I'm on Twitter, but I, I think it's at Carly underscore un, at Carly underscore Street. That's my Twitter Twitter handle. Cool. Facebook. And I'm on Facebook. Absolutely. Okay. Great. So we just look up Carly Street on Facebook. You got it. Because when I was, um, well, not stalking you, but when I yeah. was looking for information on you, I think that was how I found you yep. and of course when I friended you that day as well <laughs> um, is, is there any one particular place where people can go and and it's everywhere no I, I put the business into doing the acting I don't put a lot of business into publicity honestly I don't know why I know that's what people should do but I, I've got too many good books to read I can't bring myself to <laughs> spend well, the time doing well, all the evidently self-promotion or lack thereof is not hindering you from being uh, an absolute, complete, smashing success. Thank you so As an much. actor, I mean, I am blown away by by uh, all of the incredible work you've done and all of your awards. And, and I'm going to be counting until there's eight. And then more, um, because I just see the most incredible things for you continuing, and even more so. Thank so you. I will. I will always be following you. You have a fan for life. Sean, I'm so delighted that we met. Oh, it's my pleasure entirely. Um, let me see here. Well, I do have a speed round, but it's about, we have about, it's about 2.43. Do we have a little time? We do. Okay, yeah, cool. I have, I have basically uh, 11 or 12 more minutes. So. Okay, groovy. All righty. Want to do a speed round? Let's do it. Okay, what's your favorite play? <laughs> a Black Girl in Search of God. Okay, cool. Favorite musical? Carolina Change. Uh, do you have a favorite writer? Teresa Rebeck. How about a favorite director? Can we come back to that one? Sure. Mentor? Carol Rosenfeld. She's the acting teacher, a teacher, teacher of teaching at the HP Studios in New York. Oh my God, she's my husband's acting teacher. What? Yes. Oh, he's going to freak. I love Carol. I, she teaches you how to act and how to live. Oh, my God. I okay. Think. All right. It, this is... <laughs> now we're definitely connected for life. <laughs> you just signed up for her next class. And, Brilliant! Yes, and I'm going to be interviewing two actors next week that are in class with them as well. She taught me at the National Theatre School of Canada in 1998. No way. Yeah. Small world, huh? Yep. And you know, the more I do this, the smaller it gets. Yeah. It's crazy. It's stunning. Like, it's like everybody's connected to each other. Favorite director, okay. David Latham. He directs at the Shaw Festival, Stratford Festival, and he's also the best acting, teaching director in the world. Okay. I have to tell you, you were the first one who was able to give a theater answer for each one of those questions. Oh. Most people... Sorry. I know. I'm surprised, too. No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, no, most people... Uh, they're like, can I can I have a novelist? Can I have a uh, a film director? 
those. Oh, um, I could do those too. But I thought we were talking about that. We're talking about the, oh, the work. No, 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 no. I, th- I think it's terrific. I just wanted to let you know. That oh, lovely. You you get the medal for being the first to stick completely to theater. Woo! <laughs> well, this has been wonderful. Thank you for being with us, Carly. You're amazing. Thank you. This has been so much fun, and it was wonderful when you ha- ask questions. It really, the answers that I would give today are different the answers than I gave a year ago or five years ago, and it it is heartwarming for me because I think, oh, I'm fortunate enough that things are evolving, the things and the things that I'm exposed to are evolving, and my ideas about and hopes and dreams the world, those are evolving. Oh, totally. It's it's thrilling. Oh, great, and and. I think that one of the things that I enjoy the most about this show is that when my guests come on, they're so busy and, and in their uh, in their art all the time yeah. that they finally get you know an hour to sit down and sort of uh, encapsulate all of that. It's like, oh, I never really realized that I thought that, but now that I'm being asked a question about it, then yeah, that's, exactly. That's, so, so hopefully that happened a little bit with you today. So much so. Okay, okay so cool. much so. Excellent. Okay, well, at the end of each show, I like to give shout-outs to current productions that I feel are worth a recommendation. On tonight's episode, I'd like to recommend a show written by my pal and fellow 72nd Writers Gang member Kenneth Jones, props to 72nd Street Writers Gang. It's called Hollywood, Nebraska. It's playing at the Wyoming Theater Festival starting on September 8th. It's a story of two actresses of a certain age who make a homecoming to their dying small town with plans of handling family business. Uh, There are themes of art, family love, and the perception of success. I've had the privilege of reading this script in our writer's gang, as well as seeing a live reading at the Actors' Company Theater out here in New York, and I loved it. Also, one of the actors that performed in my most recent musical, We the People, Michelle Hosso, has a role in the show, and I didn't know this until she was cast. Um, Michelle is a sensational actor and a terrific singer. Um, these are developmental performances of the play. Um, this, this particular company has provided a wonderful opportunity uh, within this festival to see the play up on its feet for six performances and help shape and mold it into its next phase. If you're a playwright or an actor or a director, you understand how invaluable that opportunity is. It's just, it's a great, sometimes you don't know until it's right there in front of the people and they're laughing or not laughing or (laughs) crying or not crying. Um, Ken is an awesomely talented writer whose play Alabama Story is being produced all over the country. Um, There are other opportunities to see different plays at the festival as well as multiple live script readings. I think they're holding a live script reading every single day, so that's, that's awesome. Um, again, Hollywood, Nebraska begins on Friday, September 8th, and runs six performances. It's playing at the Mars Theater space. Uh, you can visit wyomingtheaterfestival.com, that's theater with an E-R, for tickets and information. And I also wanted to give a little shout-out to my friend, uh, Jessica Farella, who was also the first and probably the um, most uh, assigned stage manager of At The Flash. Uh, she is an incredible stage manager. She's dipping her toe into producing, and she has produced a, a really, really great show called Engage. It's interactive, and it's about uh, space travel and uh, and comedy and fun, and apparently the audience gets to choose whatever direction it goes in for every single performance. How cool is that? Uh, so summary that she's given me here is, uh, there is a lone little spaceship, the only crew is a smuggler, an android, an alien, and a space monk. They're on a secret deep space salvage mission. What's next? That's up to one lucky player. A fun, fight-filled spoof on your favorite sci-fi tropes. Engage is 
is a chose choose your own adventure book role play game and stellar strange combat fueled piece of interactive theater all rolled into one. Okay, I love it already. Uh, a couple of um, uh, review quote engages a sci-fi theme show like no other. They show off their fighting prowess and their quick wit. Recommended for any geek in any world. How fun is that? My next job is as a space monk. (laughs) Couldn't help it. You know, I always say this, but Jane Lynch in her autobiography says that every character is in every actor. They just have to find the character and bring it out. Isn't that smart? That's great. Um, So anyways, uh, make sure that you go see this show. Uh, I know that Jessica has very, very high standards um, because she has proven that time and time and again. And uh, they only have two more performances left on uh, Thursday, August 24th, Friday, August 25th. And that's 8 o'clock at Theater Wit. Uh, $20 tickets and five for repeat patrons. So if you want to go see a different ending, you can go see that. So uh, just wanted to throw that out there for Miss Jess. And... um, Go see it if you're in the Chicago area or, you know, I don't know, take a train if you're in Milwaukee or Detroit or something like that. Well, folks, a proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guest, the amazing Carly Street. Yay! You can find... Thanks, Sean. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> you can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. Website is, you guessed it, your program is your ticket.com. And I'm on iTunes. Uh, you can just find me putting in your program is your ticket. Uh, rate me and write me a review. I'm a writer. I can take it. I'm reviewed all the time. And uh, there we go. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week. And don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people. And curtain. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.